All right, so glad you are here at church today, and uh, we know God is, uh, you know, loves you and is, um, you know, wants you here, and you're really at the place that he wants, and so we're just glad for that, and, um, you know, Pastor John and Verona are, like, they're due now for their baby, so if in the middle of, or after service, all of a sudden he runs away from you, it's not personal, they gotta go, right, and so... Uh, if you could keep them in prayer, probably this week, right? Uh, um, we'll see, have some good news. But anyways, uh, we're excited you're here. We want everyone also to, to take one of those boxes, the invitation kits. There's candy, eggs, everything's outside, and a letter. And as I'm speaking, you might even think of a person or two. The person at work who sits across from you, um, your neighbor, your kid's teammate on the soccer team, whatever it is, they just say, oh, Maybe they don't go to church. Maybe, you know, it's uh, awkward for you to preach the gospel to them, but hey, I could just invite them, and maybe they'll come. And uh, this is one of the ways we could love the people around us, is to bring them to a place where they could hear the gospel. And so we want everyone to invite one or two or three, and you take your time outside and fill that out um, after church. Um, And so we're looking forward to um, seeing some new friends come to church this way. Uh, You know, we're at this last chapter of Hebrews. And uh, some of the commentators talk about how there seems to be just these, all these almost random thoughts that the writer of Hebrews gives to us at the end. You know, watch your marriage, be uh, be hospitable to strangers. Um, And here we get this idea of uh, watch out for weird teaching diverse and strange teaching and it's like all of these and I think you know it's at the end of the letter and I wonder if it's kind of like um, the last minute warning we might give to our kids you know I being a dad of two teenagers every time they're on their way out somewhere especially with uh, with Carissa driving every time they're on their way out I catch myself all of a sudden say oh my gosh I have to I should remind them these are all you know and and all of a sudden I say hey and I start giving them advice and I remember my parents used to do the me uh do that to me as well. Like, hey, it's cold. Take a jacket. You might freeze to death, right? You know, um, or do you have money? You know, don't steal. Take money, right? Um, and they're like, and what do all teenagers, how do they respond to the two-word answers? There's two phrases that they usually use, right? The first is, I know. Because I'm 14, I know everything. I know, Dad. I'm like, you know, make sure you turn the music down when you're driving. You don't get distracted and kill someone, okay? I know. And then, or the second one is, don't worry. Don't tell me not to worry, right? Um, and uh, so I end up doing that. And I remember as a kid, my mom used to do that to me as well. And so we try to tell them things that are so important. And I think at the end of Hebrews, the writer is telling us some of the things that are so essential. The things that we might approach like a a 13-year-old, say, I know, I've heard this, I know. But say, no, you need to hear this again. And this is the idea here. It's the pointing to the the true gospel message, not falling for a false gospel. It's at the end, and he wants the Hebrew, the Jewish Christians, the Hebrews to gather. And he says, don't fall for some of these things that are wrong. Stick to now the pure gospel, the true gospel. And that's the main idea here of the whole section that we read, the 10 verses that we read, um, is this idea. So the pure gospel, it takes these two things of uh, salvation and good works and the order 
makes it the gospel. So we are saved, we have a relationship with God because of what Christ has done for us, and then as a response, we now respond in good works, out of gratitude. We do things because we're in this relationship. Versus all the religions and cults of the world have it backwards. They say, become acceptable to the gods that you believe in, and the more good things that you do, you might achieve some kind of status. And so the order of these two make it a completely a different um, message here. You know, it's kind of like a, a parent-child relationship versus an employer-employee relationship, right? It's very different. Um, the parent says to the child, you are my child, simply because you're born to our family, you are my child, but there's, you should do these things. You should do your chores. You should try to do your best at school. Um, you should try to listen when you can to mom and dad. And so we have these expectations, but it's not saying, if you don't do your chores, you'll be cut out, kicked out, you're done, right? We will remove your name. Yeah, it doesn't go that extreme. Whereas the employee-employer relationship is all about, well, I did this, since I've achieved these things for you, don't I deserve something? And the employer says, well, if you don't measure up, then you are now going to be fired. You're good for nothing. Your only purpose is to now measure up. My senior year in high school, I had two jobs, uh, two kind of part-time jobs. One of them is my mom owned a little delicatessen. The irony of it, right, is a Korean lady with two, uh, two or three Hispanic uh, workers and it was an Italian deli, right? So anyways, it was kind of funny, authentic Italian uh, sandwiches, and no one there could pronounce the meats correctly, right? Um, so it was kind of funny, but I worked there. I worked there quite a bit. I never got paid for working there. I got paid through food. It was kind of a, a buffet, eat whatever you want, right? But you're gonna work. And the job description, I didn't go and say, what is my job description? It was do whatever you need to, be, need to do. Oh, you know, the, you need to cut the meat, go slice the meat. You need to watch the, watch the cashier, well, go collect the money. And it was all these things, and so when I, uh, by the latter part of my senior year in high school, I thought, well, I'm gonna go get a job. I'm gonna go get paid. And I thought about my resume, right? I said, what can I do? Well, it was all sandwich store, sandwich store, you know, vice president of marketing for the deli, um, you know, chief designer deli, you know, whatever it was all there. So I, I applied, I ended up applying at Subway, right? I thought it was perfect, right? So I, I got a job at Subway. They looked at my simple 17-year-old resume. Perfect, wow, your whole life you worked at this deli. Okay, so come and work for us. But the relationship was very different. Employer, employee. I can eat what I wanted. I can't do this. I got to pay for this. There's expectations. I need to be there. But when I'm done, I'm done. I remember one month into that job, we got robbed. I was there working. Someone came in with a gun and robbed the subway. Stole like $80. And I confess, I was in the back slicing tomatoes on this little machine. And the guy comes in and says, give me all your money. You know? And I heard the girl out front, and I can't see her, but I heard her say, put the gun down, right? And I confess, I ran to the back and I locked the door, right? Left this girl out there by herself. I locked the door, um, and, uh, and then he took the money, 80 bucks and left, and she came in crying, and I opened the door. Are you okay? And she says, Steve, go get him. He took our money. I said, you fool, that's not our money, you know? And I already had my uniform halfway off. Like, I quit. I'm going to college next year. I can't die over a sandwich, right? It's not worth it. Employee, employer. 
It's, I'm going to serve you, I deserve something. And sometimes we approach God in that way. God, why is this happening to me? I am so good at this. I sacrifice for you in this way. Why are their lives looking so much better than my life? I, don't I deserve something? And we often go to our Heavenly Father like an employee. And here, in this text that we read, talks about the, the gospel, the pure gospel is one of grace. Don't be deceived. Don't be led astray by strange teachings. And so we're going to look at this. We're going to look at part one is this true gospel. Part two is the false gospel and what we ought to be doing as people who have received this gospel from God. Um, the true gospel message is timeless, right? It's timeless. Uh, it's interesting, right, this verse that we know, verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. It's all in the context of saying the subject doesn't change, so the message doesn't change. Um, there is no new things to learn about him. It's all been there. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. There is no one that could come to you with something novel and say, boy, well, I, I, I figure something out. Or God gave me a message. That's yeah, contrary to what was said 2,000 years ago. No, it's all the same. The message doesn't change. And so it's interesting because in verse 7, verse 17, right? This, if you look at your whole Bible, it's sandwiched with this idea of obeying your leader. Remember your leader. Verse 7 is talking about the leaders who have passed away, the past preachers and teachers of the day who have taught you your theology, who are no longer here. You know, today we have authors and we have you know, people that we submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls. So again, he says, your current leaders, your pastors and your leaders, their message doesn't change. So obey them. So it is in this context of what is happening here that he tells us to obey your leaders because it doesn't change. The second thing about the gospel message that is so important is it changes us always from the inside out. It's never about the outside in. It's never about what you should do, how you should behave, what you should wear to church, and what you ought to do. The gospel ultimately is something on the inside. It changes the heart, and it leads to some kind of an action. Um, look at verse 9, if you would. And it says this, Do not be led away by diverse <clears throat> and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart. It's good for the heart. On the contrary to this idea of uh, the foods. And the, the foods that they're talking about, it's interesting. It's not so much of regular food or meals. Um, people were bringing in outside teachings. Uh, they were bringing in old traditional uh, Judaism. And they were trying to now mix it all up with Christianity. And so they're saying, well, yeah, you can go to church, but you still need to offer some foods to God, or you should not eat these types of foods, or you should now offer these things. And so they had all these now restrictions were coming back in to the church. And the author of Hebrews tells us, no, it's the heart. It's not something that's external, you eat, or what you don't eat, or what you do on the outside. The gospel changes the heart. It changes us from the inside out. Um, Every year, there is a Hindu pilgrimage, right, of faith, um, the Kumbh Mela, right? And it's, they've estimated uh, tens of millions have come uh, to these 
gatherings and it happens at the Ganges River. Um, and you see that there. Uh, and they would go and they would wash themselves and they would um, try to find some kind of a forgiveness that we um, could see in God. And so they talks about the people and they believe that there is something about that body of water and a few other bodies. And so people would come and they would travel hundreds, thousands of miles. Some almost would come almost naked to say, I want to come and be cleansed. I don't want to be interfered with. And they would come and dunk themselves and cleanse themselves in the body. And some of you have seen this. But what the article that I read about this, it says that the people were bathing in these rivers is thought to, they think it is to cleanse of all of their sins. It's on the outside. They want to cleanse their sins. There's a story of some of these people who are kind of extreme. They believe, boy, if you could um, keep one hand up and not use it, and by that suffering, because I'm suffering by not using my hand, I become more acceptable to God. Um, there was one man who has kept his left hand up, or right hand, I can't remember, but 38 years. He is, now it's stuck due to the atrophy there. And it has sores and the nails are all this long. And he says, oh, I'm more acceptable to the gods. And is that true? The gospel changes us from the inside out. And so what we see about the false gospel is it's usually a new idea. It's a novel idea. And someone will say, oh, I came up with a new idea, a new revelation. And we have to be also very careful about this. It says in verse 9, do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. Diverse, something different, strange, something out of the ordinary. They come to you and say, boy, I have something different. And the teaching that they heard was, Boy, these foods, you need to handle it well. You need to offer it to God. You need to burn it in a certain way. You need to eat it this at a certain time. Then it's acceptable, but it isn't. And be careful of anything that is new. You know, it's interesting that nowadays they say there are over 5,000 cults that are out there in the world today. 5,000. Um, with 150 million, over 150 million people that belong to these cults. And some of you have encountered them. Some of you had personal interactions with some. And one of the cults that we know so well, the, the Mormons or the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, LDS, they say they have over 12 million members. Right? It all started by the new revelation of Joseph Smith. Joseph Smith, at the age of 14 in 1820, was this you know, uh, discouraged by the church and all the different denominations. And so he goes and into the woods to pray, and supposedly God the Father and God the Son appear to this 14-year-old Joseph Smith. And then three years later, the angel Moroni appears to him and says, boy, there are some secret tablets, and it's hidden in New York. Um, go and find them, and you're going to translate them, and you're going to start now uh, the new gospel, the new teaching. And so he does this. And, um, you know, he ends up, he has 27 wives, and he gets imprisoned, and later is killed, and then, uh, you know, Brigham Young now succeeds him, leads him to Utah, is living 25 wives, and, you know, they, they believe in a polytheistic God, and polygamy, and so on and so forth. You think about the damage that can be done. When someone says, I have something new, I have something novel, 
And you have to do these things in order to be acceptable. So we have to be so care- very careful. Some of our uh, youth students, as we meet like this monthly, in a blink of an eye, you're going to be going to college, right? God willing. And you, if you go to college, people will come to you with all sorts of weird things and challenge all the basis of what you have. Do you really believe that? This is the right way. And there will be groups and cults and people will come to you continually to challenge your thinking. And it is tempting. If you are a go-getter, an achiever, it is tempting to say, hey, I want to go and be a works righteous person because it makes me feel good. I can achieve something for God. It makes me feel pretty acceptable to God. And the false gospel, the false gospel, secondly, promotes some kind of a formula of works, right? We talked about these foods that they would have to now uh, offer. And uh, you know, it's interesting, another cult, the Jehovah's Witnesses, a lot of you probably have had them knock on your door and want to talk to you about the Bible, and they would hand you some watchtower literature and so on. Um, they have a, a works righteousness idea. One of the things, and I looked it up even on their official website, and they have a, every month, everyone who is a part of the Jehovah's Witnesses has to submit a monthly report of the good deeds that you have done. Can you imagine that? A monthly report. And the leaders of that group is going to dictate and tell you if you were acceptable or not that month. And they say, and one report about it says that the average person has to put in about 10 hours out of the month, 10 hours of going out and knocking on doors or standing on corners. And if you fall short of that, uh, you can get disciplined. And so you're, report, you're, you're filing reports. And this is what employees do. This is what we do at work. I've got to file reports. I've got to now fill in my hours. This is legalism. And the gospel says, and so when you try to pay for something someone's already given to you for free, you cheapen what they've given to you. There's Pastor John Piper who says that legalism is the conviction that law-keeping is the ground for our acceptance with God, a failure to be amazed at grace. So we have this precious message, the foundation of the church. The greatest message that we could hear, this idea of the gospel that's given to us freely. He accepts me because of Christ's sacrifice. Now he, now that righteousness is put on or imputed to me. I am acceptable now to God because of that, not because of my righteousness. But imagine as Satan wants to now cheapen the grace of God, lower the status of Christ, they want to start doubting. They want to start coming out with new teachings. And we say, so what do I do? How do I respond? It's interesting because, again, the end of Hebrews finishes with the thought of now do things that are acceptable to God. It's not just you receive, but man, as you have received, the response comes out in good works. And these are these two things. The continual sacrifice of praise, verse 15 tells us, to offer up a a sacrifice of praise. Continually, regularly, that's the idea. All the days of your life that we are singing to God, worshiping God, and it is now acceptable because it is through Jesus Christ. So we sing. So we gather on Sundays and we sing. Chris and the team They're not here to entertain you. They're trying to get the songs out of us so we could sing. 
you know, there are studies that are done. They say, boy, singing together is so beneficial. Joining a choir can lengthen your life, and it's good for you. It's good for us, sure. But ultimately, this is for God. So we sing. This is something we do. And the second thing we do is, is a life of good deeds. It says in verse 16, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Because you have received this free gift through Jesus Christ, and you have now a status with your heavenly father, just like the earthly father would tell their child, hey, you got to get to school, do your chores. You are now my child, you behave this way. He says to do good, share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God in verse 16. We do it in this way. Jesus tells a story. Uh, the, the story points to the absurdity of the person who doesn't respond in gratitude. Matthew 18, the story, man who owes 10,000 talents. Um, Bible commentators, they have a hard time figuring out, but they say something like 20 years of wages, maybe. 20 years, so it's basically your whole collector and says, well, I'll pay you back. And he said, obviously, he can't pay him back, but what happens, he forgives him. He says, okay, I'm going to forgive you. And he wipes it clean, the debt clean. You would, the natural response for this person is to go into the same. Next, he meets a friend who owes him 100 denarii, about three months' wages. He could pay him back, actually. And he strangles him, where's my money, and puts him in jail, right? And so it points to the absurdity. Uh, any human being that reads this, say, of course he should have forgiven him. We've seen this happen, you know, in our day and age. In 2014, St. Petersburg, Florida, there was a Starbucks with a drive-thru. And someone at 7 a.m. decided to do something good and pay for the person's drink behind them. So they started paying it forward. And then that person said, oh, wow, pay for my drink? He did. Well, no, cover the guy behind me. And it starts going. This chain reaction starts happening. It keeps going. So the, the people at Starbucks are keeping tally. They're like, this is pretty cool. And they're hoping, wow, maybe this will go on until they close. And they don't know. And they get to 379 people. And the 370, or the 378 people kept paying it forward. The 379th person ends this beautiful thing, right? Stops it at 6 p.m. They were hoping it would go till they closed, right? Who knows, maybe they had a tall coffee, but the person behind them had five frappuccinos for their kids, and they're like, I'm not paying for that. You know, this was $2.10, forget that, right? I don't know what it is. But even that, it's like, oh, not a disappointment. We have received an eternity. The Lord Jesus Christ, he died on the cross for me. He wasn't a created being. He wasn't like an angel. He was God the Son, died for me, and I have all of this, this beautiful gospel, and someone is going to come in and try to cheapen that and tell me a different story. I will reject that. I will love to sing about Jesus Christ. I will do the good deeds because of what he has done for us. And so this is what we do. Love OC, inviting our friends. All of these things is not just to keep you busy at church. We want to, what does this look like? We've received so much. We want the message of Easter now to be lived out in a tangible way. And so we have this wonderful gospel here. 
and we hold so preciously to it at our church, in our faith. Uh, May God continue to bless us as we hear this old message, this ancient message, the eternal gospel message the rest of our days. May it move us to sing forever and to do good and give to others because this is now acceptable and pleasing to God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you. We thank you for what, you eat, what we have received freely uh, from the death of your son, Jesus Christ, the sacrifice made on our behalf. And God, whenever we are tempted to bring our own righteousness onto that altar, whenever we come to you, Lord, and say, God, don't I deserve more? And we act like an employee that's earned something. God, would you remind us again of the beauty of the gospel? And whenever we are tempted to now not live out the gospel, not to pay that forward, God, would you remind us again of the beauty of this story of the cross? The reason we sing is because of you, Jesus Christ. The reason we do good is because of what we have received already. It is so, so much that we can't help but to try to copy and be like our Heavenly Father. So we ask God for that kind of faith. Would you guard your church? May the gospel be preached in a pure way in your church today, at our church here today. And we pray for those future friends who will come as we invite God that they would come and their burdens would be lifted off with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. So we pray for that as well. Thank you for this timeless, eternal message, the gospel message. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.